we should boast in one thing. You know, typically when we think about boasting, we see that as repulsive, as revolting. I mean, I, we don't we don't want to see people being boastful, and that the reason why that is is because typically when a person boasts, they are boasting in themselves. Or if they're not boasting in themselves, taking pride in themselves, they are boasting in their connection or in someone else. But it's actually really good to boast in one thing, and that is to boast in the Lord our God who saves us in Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jeremiah says. He says in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, he says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That's why I hope you'll see today is that we ought to boast in the Lord who saves us in Christ Jesus. Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 1. And before we get into the passage that we're going to be uh, focused on today, I want to kind of uh, kind of get trace the argument back just a little bit, just in four verses we want to look at, just to trace the argument back just a little bit to see what, what is Paul talking about? What, what is he thinking about? Look at first at 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, that's where Paul says, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. The problem that Paul is focused on there in, in Corinth is the problem of divisions. There are, and there are divisions where everybody is is centering themselves on a person, whether it's Paul or Apollos or, or Peter, or even in a sinful way, some are even uh, seeing themselves as, ha- as having a superior uh, connection with Jesus Christ. They're, they're in every way dividing with one another. It's a very worldly situation where they're, they are basically boasting in men. They are glorying in men. They are connecting themselves with men. But Paul says, skip down to verse 17. He says in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He says, I'm not trying to build up a following for myself. I'm not trying to get people to follow me. That's what uh, Jesus Christ commissioned Paul. He sent Paul. He chose Paul. He says, I'm going to send you to be the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm going to send you. You're going to be my chosen instrument, my tool among the nations. But he did not send him to build up a following for himself. He did not send, uh, Jesus did not send Paul to baptize people in Paul's name so that people would be a follower of Paul. Instead, Paul says, I'm not here to, to get people to follow me. I'm here to preach the message of the cross. I'm here to preach the gospel. And verse 18, he explains why he is so intent on preaching the gospel, on preaching the word of the cross. Look at verse 18. He says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved is the power of God. People see, typically in the world, the most common reaction is, in a worldly way of thinking, is that the cross is foolishness. It is, it is odd, it is, it is anti, it is contrary to the, this world's way of thinking. It is not something that we ought, to, we ought to be trusting in. How can you possibly believe that? It's incredible, it's unbelievable. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. It is the way that God affects our salvation. It is the way that he accomplishes our salvation. 
And then Paul says one last verse just to kind of bring us, bring us up to the point to where we're going to start today. Verse 25, he says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The foolishness of God that he's talking about there is the cross. The cross says, here is a man on the cross who's lived a perfect life, but, but he, is, he is dying. He's a, how, how could you possibly have a Savior who dies on a cross? What kind of Savior is that? And you're saying that he was raised from the dead? How could that possibly be? We can't, we can't believe that. It does not fit with any, any, of our, any of our concepts or any of our assumptions about the way that the world works. We cannot, we cannot believe that. Or, or he says that the, the weakness of God, the weakness of God is the cross. How could, you, how, could you, uh, how, how could you talk about God being strong when there your Savior was nailed to a cross? There he was remaining there. Why, why doesn't he save himself and save others when in fact he was staying on the cross so that he might save others? But to the world's way of thinking, that's the way it is. And so, so that, is, that, that is what Paul's been talking about. He's been talking about, this is why I'm preaching the cross. The cross has the power to save. It's the power to save us. It's the power, it's the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. It's stronger than the, than the wisdom of God in this world. Uh, stronger than the wisdom that this world has to offer. Than the, than the power of men. It's stronger. It's wiser. How do you know that? He's speaking to the Corinthians, but he could just as easily be speaking to us. How do we know that that's true? And what he does is he takes it from the theoretical, this is what the cross is, this is what God has accomplished, to now there is a demonstration of it. He brings it down to the practical level to where we have experienced it. We know it. Now then, now then this is what Paul says, two demonstrations, I'm going to show you why. I'm going to show you why. Picking up at verse 26, the power of the cross in those who receive the message. The power of the cross in those who receive the message. Look at verses 26 through 31. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Here's the first demonstration. Paul basically says, think about, think about your calling. When you came to trust in Jesus Christ, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, what were, what were you? The calling that he's talking about there is, the, is what, what we talked about last week as far as God's effectual calling. That is where, where God calls forth what was not there before. So where a person was dead in their sins, God calls them. Not just, the, not just the outward calling that is there for everybody. Not just, the, not just the invitation to all those who are weary and heavy laden. Not just the command to, to repent and to believe the gospel. But the call of God that where there is death, he calls forth life. Where there was unbelief, he calls forth faith. Where there was rebelliousness, he calls forth repentance. He makes it happen. He, he overcomes with, uh, without coercion, but he overcomes every obstacle to a person's believing. 
in their mind and in their heart, he calls forth what was not there before. There was no faith, there was no faith, there was no, there was no belief, there was no repentance before, and God calls it forth by the power of his spirit in the gospel. And so he says, consider your calling, brothers, because what were you like? What were you like? He says, uh, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Okay, think about what you were. You were not, you were not among the most, the, you were not the Nobel laureate. You were not the, the Rhodes Scholar. You were, not, you were not the most respected for your intelligence or your learning or your wisdom. That's not what you were. You were not the most educated in the world. You were not the most respected in the world. Then he says, uh, not many of you were powerful. You were not, not ruling over any countries. You were not uh, brokering any million-dollar million dollar deals. Uh, you were not uh, the owner of a National Football League team. You, you, were, not, you were not powerful. You, you, were not, you were not anything special. He says, not many of you, not many of you uh, were noble-born. Some people are just born into it. They're born wealthy. They're born with a title. We, we actually still care. I, don't, I, have, I have no reason why it still exists. I, I, I kind of like it because I kind of love uh, everything that's English kind of, but I, we, we still care about kings and princes and, and princesses and whether or not one's going to have a baby. Every time I go through the check-it aisle at Dollar General, there's something about somebody's baby. You know, we still care. That, that was not you, though. I'll walk through and your picture's not there. You, you, are, not, you are not significant. That's not what you were. In, in, the, in the church in Corinth, like a lot of churches, like churches we hope ought to be and we want them to be, there are a lot of, a lot of different kinds of people. Some of them, he says, not many, so some of them might have been learned or powerful or noble-born. Some of them were very poor or slaves even. And most of them were just ordinary people. And look at what he says at the end. Or, or, or that's, that's, that's what we were. We were just ordinary people. We were, not, we were not the special people of the world. Not in the world's eyes. The world was not, it was, there were no stories written about us. We were not on TV. There was nobody talking about us. No write-ups in Forbes or, or Sports Illustrated. Nothing. We were just ordinary people living ordinary lives. And then what he, look what he says, verses 27 and 28. He says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Three times he talks about God's choice. God's choice with, with three, three choices with three reasons for that choice, with one ultimate choice. With one, excuse me, one ultimate reason. So God chose. He chose the things, he chose the ones who are foolish in the world's eyes. So you who are unlearned, he, he actually chose you with a purpose. He wanted to shame the wise. There, there are people in this world who boast in their wisdom. They are, they are hoping that their hope, their, their identity, their significance is found in their learning, in their wisdom, in their intellect, in their, in their philosophy. They know things. That's who they are. God wants to shame them. You cannot, uh, he, he, you cannot have anyone in this world exalt themselves. God cho chooses those who are low 
in order that he might shame the wise. Or he chooses those who are weak. There's some who are powerful. Sometimes I really only see these people in, in the movies because I'm not significant enough to see them in real life. You know, but but they they talk about the ways that they can they have power over people. I can buy and sell people. I have power over these people's lives. But God God chooses those those people who are weak in order to shame the powerful, in order to shame the strong. Well, then he says, the last one he says, he, he chooses those who are low and despised. God chose what is low and despised. Lower according to whom? Lower than all of the wise and powerful. That's who. The wise and powerful up here, you are just low and despised. Who despised you? The, the, the powerful and the wise. They despise you. But God chose the low and the despised to shame even those, look what he says, even the things that are not. Do you know what he's talking about there? He's talking about, I don't, you, I don't want you to be insulted by this, but I do want you to be humbled by this. The nothings. He chose the nothings of the world. As what, so, so, so consider your calling. And Paul's not buttering them up, okay? Consider your calling. You were the nothings of the world. And God chose you, the things that are nothing, so that he might do away with the things that are. So there's a whole, there's a whole world system that is in rebellion against God that boasts uh, before God, that boasts in themselves, that boasts in human beings, that boasts in what men can do. And God says, I chose you so that I could shame them, so that I could bring all those that, who hold themselves up as proud I could bring them down. That is God's pattern throughout the Bible. Somebody's like Genesis 11, men get together. We're going to get together. We're going to build a tower to the heavens and, and we will not be separated and everybody will see us and everybody will, we will make a name for ourselves. And then God comes down to their puny little tower and, and confuses their language and separates them. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar in Genesis, uh, excuse me, in Daniel 4, he is walking on his rooftop one day and he, he looks out and he says, man, look at everything that I have done. And at that moment, God causes him to go insane and he lives like an animal for seven years. Because those who exalt themselves before the Lord will be humble. Or uh, one of my favorites, if it's OK to call this a favorite, Acts 12 Herod is giving this great oration, this great speech, this lofty speech. And everybody, when he gets done, somebody that the people say the voice of a God and not man. And at that moment, because Herod did not transfer the glory to God, God struck him down dead and he, he was eaten by worms. Those who exalt themselves in this world, God humbles them. And notice the, the way that Paul is talking about them being humbled. The reason why. He says God chose. I want to make it very explicit that God, the, the reason why people are saved is because God chooses to save them. He chooses a particular group of people for himself. He chooses particular people and forms them into a new people for himself. That is, before God created the world, he chose out of a, a, all of humanity 
And when he chose out of all humanity, he had only one kind of person to choose from. They were all sinners. And he chose some to salvation. We're in a room of, of all unbelievers and the gospel is preached and some believe and some don't believe. What is, the, what is the ultimate reason why those who believe was the ultimate reason why they believe? Because God chose and then God in that moment called. Now then, that, that's a very difficult doctrine. And sometimes we don't like to think about that doctrine. Yet some people, here's what I find to, to, to happen sometimes. Some people believe it. But they'd rather not talk about it because it, it is offensive. And not only is it offensive, but it doesn't seem that practical. Except look at what Paul is doing. He's putting it into practice. He's saying that this, this doctrine has practical, this doctrine of unconditional election, a God's unconditional choice of some to salvation, it has practical consequences. Here's what I want you to know from this. God chose you, so don't boast in yourself. Because it was not because of anything in you. You were not wise. You were not strong. In fact, you were nothing. God called you into being a something. We are not loved because we are valuable. We are valuable because God chose to love us. God, God set us apart as his special possession, as his holy people. That is the reason why we are God's people. Not because of anything in us. And so he wants us to know. He says, why, why would you, you were not great in the world's eyes. You were not great men. Why would you want to go back to a system that boasts in great men? Why would, you, why would you want to continue acting that way? Why would you want to boast in yourselves or, or boast in anything that men can do? Instead, you were chosen by God. So he says, since you were chosen by God to shame the, the wise in this world, to shame the strong in this world, to shame the things that are. Now then, here's the ultimate reason. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Sometimes we wonder, why, why are things this way? Why would God do it this way? Why would God choose people to salvation? That seems, that seems difficult to swallow. That seems difficult to understand. And yet we know that God has a purpose for it. We do not know everything in the mind of God. But he says, so that you might not boast. You should not boast before God. We have to make that clear. Paul has to make that clear. And you know, for a, a church that is struggling with worldliness, it might be difficult to hear, but it's something that is in many ways the antidote to worldly boasting. To know, I can't give a reason for why I am saved, except that God did it. Now then, he basically says the same thing again from a different perspective. Look in verse 30, he says, and because of him. Why, why are you saved? Because of God. And you know what? I think, I think that no matter how many difficult discussions we might have about uh, unconditional election or, or even the ways that some Christians might disagree, I think that all Christians agree on that. Why am I saved? Because of him. Because of God. Now, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. 
So I've emphasized that the, the reason why you're saved is because uh, of God's unconditional choice of you in eternity past. I've emphasized that. Now I want to make sure that we emphasize that the whole reason why you are saved is because you are in Christ Jesus. There is, there is no blessing that you have. There is no reason why you would be saved apart from Christ Jesus. And he says that Christ Jesus, he became to us, who became to us wisdom from God. All right, so we, we do not have this worldly wisdom. We are not resting in this worldly wisdom. We are not resting in the power of men, but we have been given wisdom from God. That doesn't mean that God uh, put into our minds what was, what was wise. In some ways, that's true. He did cause us to see. But what he's talking about there is this is, th- there is a wisdom to the way that God works. A wisdom that the world does not understand, a wisdom that the world does not recognize, but this is the wisdom of God, that for those of us who were in sin, he put us in Christ Jesus. This is the wisdom of God that was given to us as a gift. And what Paul does is that that wisdom, when we think of wisdom, the wisdom of, of being in Christ Jesus, the wisdom of God as being the overarching umbrella of everything that comes up, then he defines it as, as righteousness and sanctification and redemption. By righteousness, he means that which is credited to us because of Jesus Christ. We in ourselves are unrighteous. We, we have disobeyed. We have sinned against God. We have, we have done everything that, that we, ought to, we ought not do. And we have separated ourselves from God. But what we have in Christ Jesus is that we have a righteousness that is transferred to our account or counted as our own. So that in Christ Jesus... In, in Christ Jesus, in with him as our representative, with, with being in his kingdom, we are credited with righteousness. So that God would say about us that we are, we are justified or we are right in his sight. The second word there, he says that we are, the, and sanctification, God's wisdom and sanctification. By sanctification, I think this is along the lines of when we looked at 1 Corinthians 1, 9. That is positional sanctification. What God did was he took you out of the realm of impurity, out of the filth and defilement that you were in. That's that's, That's everybody. Everybody was there. Filthy, defiled, shameful, separated from God. And he took you out of that and he put you into a holy state. He, he separated you out as one of his holy ones, as one of his saints. In Christ Jesus, he did that. In yourself, you could, not, you could not be that. You could never attain to that. But in Christ Jesus, you have been set apart as one of his own. And, and then, as a part of that, being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. What he did is he took you out of the realm of unrighteousness, of, of, of filth and defilement and, and what is profane. And he made you holy, a special instrument, a special one of his people. And then he says, and redemption. Redemption is the idea of a payment of a price. In our sin, what we had done in our sin and our rebellion was we had, we had run up a sin debt. It's the idea of a person who owed a, a debt or a, or a person who was enslaved. What, what Jesus Christ did was while we were enslaved to sin, while we were, while we were headed for death, Jesus Christ came and paid off our sin debt. His, his life, his sacrifice on the cross, paid for our sins. Everything that we have as far as salvation is something that is from God as a gift and in Christ Jesus as a gift. 
And then what we come to realize is that what I hope that you realize is that without Jesus Christ, you would not be counted as righteous, but you would be condemned. If you were not in Jesus Christ, you would not be counted as sanctified or holy. You would be counted as cast off and defiled and worthless. In Jesus Christ, you would you would still be enslaved to sin and headed toward death, even an eternal death. And yet in Jesus Christ, you have redemption. You have been paid for. You have been freed with a price. And so what I hope that you'll see is that that we ought to hope in Christ Jesus. And then he says there in verse 31, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why would you boast in men? Why would you boast in yourself? Why would you boast because of any attachment that you have to, to some man? The only connection that matters for the Christian, ultimately, is the connection to Jesus Christ. Because God put you in Christ Jesus. Because of him, from him, you are in Christ Jesus. That's where all the salvation comes. That's where all blessing comes. That's where all life comes, is in Christ Jesus. When, when Paul talks about boasting there, he uses boasting, and not only in this place, but in multiple places, as, as a kind of synonym for faith. What is it that you glory in? What is it that you hope in? What are you proud of? I'm only proud of one thing, the Lord. I belong to Christ Jesus. I belong to God. That's all that I have to boast in. And so, why would we want to boast in men? Why would we want to be divided over what men think? There's, that is not the way that the gospel works. We're only connected to Jesus Christ. That is all that we have to boast in. Nothing in ourselves. And that's how the power of the cross has been demonstrated in those who receive the message. Now then, in verses 1 through 5, we see the power of the cross demonstrated in those who preach the message. In those who preach the message. Look at verses 1 through 5. It says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come to you proclaiming, uh, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So on the one hand, he says, when you consider your calling, when you first came to Christ, what were you? Well, you were not much. Now... Now that, now that Paul might have insulted you a little bit, he says, and I, when I came to you, I didn't come with lofty speech. I came bearing the testimony of Christ, talking about witnessing to Jesus Christ, witnessing to the gospel, witnessing to the cross and the resurrection. He says, I did not come to you with lofty speech or wisdom. Those, in some ways, uh, those two terms overlap, but lofty speech probably, probably emphasizes the way that Paul spoke and the wisdom, the content of what he spoke. What Paul is saying is, nothing about what I said or the way that I said it was intended to impress you or did impress you. I mean, it was not, it was not just, it was not my, my incredible, it was not my reasoning power. 
and it was not my uh, blazing charisma. It was just me preaching to you. And he says, because I decided, he had determined beforehand not to preach anything but Christ and him crucified. Verses 3 and 4 kind of elaborate on that. He says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now that could mean that Paul was ill. You know, we know some, from some places in like Galatians that he was in some places, his, his eyesight was failing him or he was ill. We know that he was beaten multiple times. It was hard to tell exactly what might have been wrong with Paul because there were probably so many things wrong with Paul his, physically. But in 2 Corinthians 2, I think it's more likely that he was talking about the, the actual way that he was speaking to them because of the pressure of what he was talking about. He says in 2 Corinthians that, that when I preach the gospel, it is, a, it is the stench of death to some and it is the fragrance of life to others. He's saying, like, I'm preaching to people, some people are rejecting it, and, and I know that they're going to hell because they're rejecting the gospel. And I know that some are going to go to heaven because I'm preaching the gospel. And, and he says at the end of that, who is sufficient for these things? The implied answer is nobody. Nobody, nobody is, is sufficient in and of themselves to preach these kinds of things. So he was trembling. He was weak, fearful. This is, this is the way that the gospel is supposed to be preached. Not only do we have a cross-shaped message, but we have a cross-shaped style of presenting it. A cross-shaped message and a cross-shaped manner. The, the cross is not supposed to be preached in a, in, a, in a way that takes the focus off of the cross. He says that there. He says, I didn't, the, the, my message, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. So the way that he was speaking, it was, it was not something that, that, made, that was impressive. And his, his plausible words, I think that helps us to know what he's talking about when, it, when he's saying it's not about the wisdom. I did not speak in lofty speech. It, was, it did not make sense to those who only believe in a worldly way. You have to recognize that reason, Paul's not talking about there that he's speaking in, a, in an unreasonable kind of way or an anti-rational way. Reason is a good gift from God. But reason is powerless without revelation. What happens is, is that God reveals himself in the scriptures and as a gift to us, he causes us to be able to understand and even by the power of the Spirit, he causes, a, causes the word to be illuminated for us so that we get, have understanding of it. But he's saying it doesn't make sense to those who are, only willing, who are only willing to say, who are only willing to believe in a way that they've always believed. And so one of the things I think that happens is, is there, are, there are some churches that are in danger of not preaching the cross. The cross is offensive. The cross uh, sets human uh, human uh, pride on its head, makes it where you cannot you cannot boast in yourself. People don't want to hear that. Or sometimes this is this is more likely that not only do some some churches or some preachers will preach the cross, but they do it in such a way as to take the focus off of the cross. They talk about good things. They talk about things that are in the Bible. They talk about things that make for a moral life, that make for a, a typically more uh, a life of, of greater wellness and greater health. But they do it in a way that takes the focus off of the cross. 
It's on the preacher or it's on the show or it's on the program. What we want to do is put the cross out there and to present it in such a way that nothing distracts from the cross. So that the cross is the main attraction. The cross is the main thing. The cross is what brings people to Jesus Christ. And then he says, it wasn't in these ways, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. The way that Paul is talking about power throughout these verses, I think, is is the idea of effectiveness. When he talks about the spirit, the spirit is the one who is active, making the message of the cross effective. So when people hear the message of the cross, the spirit makes it work. It makes it makes it so that people believe, makes it so people understand. It's the spirit that does that. The demonstration was in the Corinthians, you believed. It was, everybody remembers what I was like when I came to you, and I wasn't that great. I wasn't better than a lot of the other speakers in the marketplace. But you believed anyway. How could that possibly be? What explains that? That was the power of the Spirit that caused you, that called you to Jesus Christ. And so he says, finally, the point of all of this is so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. First, he says, let no one boast except boasting in the Lord. Do not boast in men. Do not boast in human human privilege, not in human power, not in your own, not in anybody else's. And he says, so that the wisdom, so that your, your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I think in some cases where where people are drawn to a man, it's hard to tell the difference whether whether they are they are they are believing because of that person or because of that program or because of of this way of doing things or are they saved because of the power of the cross. I think there is a problem in a lot of places with with false conversions. That is those who who profess faith in Jesus Christ because of a because there was a way of producing a response, producing a decision, getting them to to sign a card or come to the front that put their hope in a man that put their that that caused them to believe so long as everything fit into what this man was saying. But as soon as the way that Jesus talks to us in the parable of the soils, the, when, when persecution comes, they fade away. They, they receive it with joy, and yet over time they fade away. Or the, the things of this world crowd out the seed of the gospel. You know, we know that, that Paul, even himself, some were saying, I'm of Paul. So sometimes it's not always the preacher's fault. Sometimes it's not always the, the, way, that, the way that it's done. But Paul very intentionally does things in a way that pulls back, pulls back, makes sure, pushes back and says, don't boast in me. Don't do it because you think that that I am a great man. Don't do it. Don't don't profess Jesus Christ because you think that you're great. Instead, your only boasting is in the Lord. The only place for your faith to rest is in the power of God. And don't we know that? 
I mean, when we look at our lives, don't we know that the only reason why we are saved is, is because of God's power? Think about what you were. You might even think about the way that you first heard the gospel. When I first heard the gospel, it was, it was through elderly ladies teaching my classes at church. It was through my mom reading the Bible with me. There was nothing, there was nothing, fa- nothing fancy about it. It was just ordinary people. But it is the power of God that brings us to salvation. And if we can know that to be true, then we can pull away from everything that is, that is flashy and lofty, everything that tries to take the world's way of thinking and make it, make it work within the, within the gospel. Instead, we can be like Paul, who knew nothing but Christ and him crucified. An offensive message preached in a very plain way. But it's the power of God for everyone who believes. Father, uh, please grant that we would, we would boast in the Lord. We would boast in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That our faith would rest in Him. That everything that would seem uh, illustrious and gleaming and and bright in this world that could distract us from trusting in him, that we would, uh, we would, all those things would be crucified to us and we would be crucified to them, that we would be separated as a people of God for your own, for your own pleasure, for your own glory, in our good, in our joy. Please grant that we, we would trust in Christ, that we would know that he is our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. We would know him to our everlasting pleasure, for eternity. In his name we pray. Amen. Something, when Jesus, when Jesus, when God